the understanding of which motivation is the one that's driving is the deep digging work of the Enneagram. And that's why it's not instant. We kind of want it to be instant and be like, boop, 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 here's your number, da, da. And now you go on with your life when really it is, let's dig a little bit. Let's pause. Let's think about this. Now try this. And it's a much slower journey of self-discovery that unfolds throughout all the situations that you face in your entrepreneurship, in your family life, with your friends. You start to notice it in all the different places. This is Going Boldly, the podcast. Here's your host. Russ, the big guy. Hi, it is Russ, the big guy. I'm a lifelong entrepreneur who is very familiar with the struggles and successes related to running a business. I know it is definitely worth the struggle. The freedom and unlimited potential keep me moving forward, fueled by my why. Aligned with that is my desire to share with you, the entrepreneur and aspiring business owner, entertainment, information, inspiration, and even transformation into an even more amazing entrepreneur and human. To those ends, please enjoy this episode of Going Boldly. Hey, it is Russ and back again. I'm so excited uh, with our guest today. Jen Whitmer is, uh, well, she bills herself as a keynote speaker and also a coach. And here's the thing that I find really cool. She calls herself a joy bringer. Welcome, Jen. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks for having me, Russ. I'm so happy to be here. Tell me about that joy bringing. I I, uh, I find that very interesting because I have a very specific definition, or I should say I have a very specific concept of uh, a difference between happiness and joy. So what's, what's your take on this joy bringing? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, I know we're going to get into what I do later, but I work in a personality framework called the Enneagram. And my particular type is known for being fun and joyful and happy and all that kind of thing. And one of the things that I have learned is that real joy, when I, when we talk about the reality of joy, not just happiness comes from facing the hard things. It comes from forming deep roots and knowing who we are and in holding things lightly. And so I believe that play and laughter are life essentials, but that doesn't mean that we don't do hard things. And so when I say that I'm a joy bringer, I mean that in the fullest sense of the word. I talk about really hard topics often about conflict resolution and communication and those can be scary. And there is a way to do that with joy and lightness, but also do the real work. So that's what I think of as a joy bringer. I love that. Yeah. For me, I just think of happiness as sort of a fleeting short-term sort of feeling where it can wear off. And, and when that happens, it's really an indicator that you're concentrating on or depending on the wrong types of things. As you know, our, our podcast is primarily geared towards uh, entrepreneurs and aspiring business owners. Is your message and your training applicable for that, that leader of a smaller business and maybe even a solopreneur or would it be mostly for the team members? How would you see what you do applied? I think what I do in helping people resolve conflict and solve personality clashes a hundred percent applies to entrepreneurship. <laughs> and it is mostly because 
of the idea of leadership begins with self-leadership. So you're not running a business by yourself if you don't lead yourself because the bills don't get paid, clients don't get served, and the inner work that you have to do to just own a business doesn't happen either. So the work that I do in helping people solve those issues in their lives and communicate better, how to understand themselves better, how to trust themselves more, all of that is the work of entrepreneurship. And if you would have asked me that five years ago, I wouldn't have known that because I wasn't an entrepreneur. <laughs> but now yeah. I deeply know that it absolutely applies to entrepreneurship. You learn a lot, don't you? <laughs> oh, my word. It all, it's the biggest professional development journey ever. <laughs> yeah. Do you think entrepreneurs make good leaders? I think they absolutely can. Not every entrepreneur needs to lead a large team. But back to that idea of self-leadership, a good entrepreneur has to be able to lead themselves. I mean, I joke in my own practical way of running my life, I'm the boss. I'm the leader at night when I set my to-do list for the next day and my priorities are planning the week. And the next morning, I have to be able to follow that. And so I, I am the leader who designs what I'm going to do. And I have to then follow through with that. And both of those are aspects of leadership. So lots of entrepreneurs don't necessarily love to be in large structures and, or they've had a bad experience in organizations and structures. So they shoot out on their own thinking they can just do whatever they want, which to the extent is true, but then you have to be able to lead yourself to be able to be successful as an entrepreneur. So I think successful entrepreneurs absolutely are good leaders because they have to lead themselves. Yeah. And it, uh, like you said, it's, uh, it takes some personal introspection and some, some leadership development kind of uh, maybe mute some of the characteristics that of an entrepreneur that maybe aren't so good as leadership. You know, uh, entrepreneurs like to <laughs> yes. get things done immediately. A lot of times we like to do things our way. <laughs> we don't like to uh -huh. ask for help. Yes. Uh, you know, there's different characteristics like that. One of the things that you mentioned was uh, shooting out on your own or not really feeling like you fit in or not part of the culture. And, and I think that you had mentioned something like that in something that you had written where maybe that was a turning point for you, if not mm -hmm. to get into entrepreneurship, but it was an experience that you had realizing that you were not a good fit. And I think it was interesting because I think one of the things that you mentioned was that you fired yourself rather than have the company ah. fire you. <laughs> I guess that's a simple way of saying you quit and you'd realize it was time to move yeah. on. And I've been in that situation. Well, it's true. I always find that place disconcerting. And I have a few clients that I have helped through that place as well, either in the midst of deciding to fire themselves or having been fired and then trying to get the confidence back to do what they need to do next. And in all of the cases, my case, these clients that I was working with, it was a situation where it wasn't going to work. You know, the concept of throwing good money after bad, um, it, it wasn't going to be solved. Yeah. And which is so hard for me as an idealist, because I'm like, but if we just do it the right way and we all care about one another and, you know, we do that, but that requires the participation of the other people. Yeah. And that wasn't my experience. I had a leader who was deeply insecure, lacked skill, and had been promoted above really his <laughs> ability levels 
And that happens a lot. And I feel for him. Like I have empathy, like what a terrible position to feel yourself in. You know, that's a holdover (laughs) from the old uh, hierarchy, you know, concept. Oh yeah. Yeah, Multiple layers. So it's the Peter principle, you know, um, in a hierarchy, people get promoted to their highest level of incompetence. Mm. And it's so frustrating, I think, for that leader as well. And what I would have loved was for him to get some help and start to realize, how do I skill build to do this work or choose something different? Instead, he gaslighted and was passive aggressive and took it out on our team. And I actually did get fired. And then he rehired me in this really weird position that made no sense, but basically was a protection against some kind of action. And then a few months later, that's when I fired myself. I was like, this is never going to get better. This is not going to change regardless of how great my intentions are and my behavior is here. So the best, most integral thing that I can do is leave. And so that is why I'm an accidental entrepreneur. I wasn't planning on starting my own business, but now that I have it, I really love it. And But going back to that place of, I can't be fully who I am and stay in this place because it's harming me. And that means it's harming my family and it's doing no good for the organization that is employing me. And it's such a painful situation to be in because there's grief, there's guilt, there's healing that has to happen. And I I can imagine that many people have experienced that situation. And sometimes we blow it off like, oh, that happens to everybody, but it doesn't have to. And so that's why I do the work that I do with teams and even entrepreneurs who lead a couple people working with people to help them learn how to communicate better, how to know themselves better changes how we lead and because we can't lead past the place that we've healed. And, and that's the type of work that I love to help people with. And I don't think I ever would have gotten there had I not fired myself yeah. <laughs> from that position. Well, I can feel you. I, uh, my wife and I made a move from one city to another and a job was available right away for me, which I just took the first one that kind of fit with what I was doing. And I ended up working there for five years and it roughly, and roughly three years of it was too many. I should have left after two because mm. it was extremely dysfunctional, extremely. And, yeah. and I slowly got sucked down into the abyss. Well, there's so many varied situations about why people are motivated to stay yeah. or choose to leave. And so if I'm just speaking really broadly, What I love about using the Enneagram is that it shows us what is motivating our behavior. So somebody might stay too long, but they might do it for a completely different reason than why I stayed too long. Yeah. And understanding the why is the big, the big aha of the Enneagram. There are all kinds of personality tools and I like them all. Um, I still use StrengthsFinder sometimes when I do work with boards. I taught Myers-Briggs and used it for years as a faculty leader. And the discovery of the Enneagram helped me get to the bottom of all the things that those other tools show you. The other tools that I love using and um, such as Strengths Finders or Myers-Briggs, Colby Disc, they all have great things to offer. They explain what we do and they explain how we do it. But the Enneagram shows us why that deep motivation of 
what am I afraid of? What am I really going after? And the other tools can't really show you that. And the difference is I can explain what I do, but if I under, if I don't understand why I'm doing that, then I don't have as much opportunity to change, adjust, and make different choices. So when you're thinking about being stuck somewhere, am I staying stuck because I am afraid that it will be disloyal? Am I saying stuck because I feel like it's wrong to leave and I'm afraid of being wrong? Am I staying stuck because I'm afraid that it's not successful, that I've failed at something? There are all different kinds of reasons why someone might stay in a system or in a job that isn't a good fit for them. And if you know why you're doing that, understanding that deep core motivation that the Enneagram shows us, then you can start to address the actual issue. Well, you know, going back to the idea of if I leave a job, I'm a failure. Is that really a failure or do you have the opportunity to change and make a different type of success? What did you learn in that space? And also learning that your worth is not dependent on your success. All of those things come out of really digging into the Enneagram and understanding how the Enneagram, um, how our inner worlds show up in our behaviors and in our thoughts and in our actions. I love it. That's so important. And we help entrepreneurs find their focus um, on their why and their purpose and their values. Mm -hmm. And when you're solid on that, probably would wouldn't get into that situation to begin with, hopefully, you know, at least, at least yeah. you'd be much more aware of it. All right. So do you want to get out faster? Yeah. Like you, I was working with exactly. a client the other day and she was like four days in, I no, this is not it. This isn't what I thought it was going to be. And there's um, all kinds of business speak about fail fast. Yeah. And it was so great. Four days. This is not who I am. I should leave. Absolutely. So much better than five, seven, 10 years in. And there's so many more connections that have to be disentangled in order to leave. Yeah. And I went through the Enneagram at your suggestion a while back when we first chatted. And my experience with it was much like other tools, evaluation tools, or the similar types of tools that you referenced. And it seemed to me that I could see myself in every category. And there were mm -hmm. a couple that were maybe just a slightly bit more me, or at least according to mm -hmm. the Enneagram. But I think for me, it sort of like depended on, at least my perception was that it would sort of depend on the situation I was in. Like maybe I'm, I don't know, maybe I'm more fluid between them. Do you have any insight into this? Yeah. Well, a couple ideas. I love this concept and thought because it helps explain the depth of the Enneagram. So when you first look at the Enneagram, you're seeing these fears. So, and you're like, well, I don't want that to happen to me. So for example, Enneagram eights don't want to be betrayed. Nobody wants to be betrayed. I don't want that. Enneagram nines don't want to lose connection with people and, and are afraid of conflict. I, I don't want to lose connection with people. I don't want my belonging to be at stake, you know, and then around the circle it goes. And we see ourselves in each of those types because we all have those motivations. Nobody wants to be rejected. Everybody wants to be the authentic, true selves. Nobody wants to feel incompetent. Everybody wants to be satisfied. All of those things are are what's in each of us. What the Enneagram helps us do as you dig deeper is to see which one is the key driver of the rest. So I like to describe it like a bus. Mm -hmm. All the motivations are on a bus. They're all there. Everybody's getting to ride along, but there is one who's driving. 
There's one that's driving that bus all the time. Now, another one might come up and whisper in its ear and even try to mess with the GPS, but there is one that is driving the bus and figuring out that is the deeper work of the Enneagram. And so your experience is really common that a lot of people look at it. You're like, well, I could be that, or I could be that. And I'm kind of that in this situation or in that situation. And the work of the Enneagram is that deeper digging like, oh, this is showing up in other places in this way, but I wasn't aware of it until I started having language to describe it. So here's a funny little example. So I am an Enneagram seven and Enneagram sevens do all kinds of things to avoid being in pain. We don't like to be limited. We don't like to miss out on something. And there are times where I will avoid talking on the phone to somebody to make an appointment (laughs) because they, I might not get the appointment time I want and I might have to rearrange some things. And there's a whole lot of like possibility of annoying pain that's involved in there. Now, is it acute pain? Of course not, but it's just more annoying. And that shows up when I'm in a meeting with somebody who is threatening my idealism and that is painful. It's all still the same motivation. I want to avoid that pain. And so when I, when it shows its head, I can then do something about it, either push through and make the phone call to the dentist or a different question in a meeting and start to get curious about what's happening rather than saying, oh my gosh, this is threatening me. And now I'm in a conflict with somebody. And so the understanding of which motivation is the one that's driving is the deep digging work of the Enneagram. And that's why it's not instant. We kind of want it to be instant and be like, boop, 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 here's your number, da, da. And now you go on with your life when really it is, let's dig a little bit. Let's pause. Let's think about this. And now try this. And it's a much slower journey of self-discovery that unfolds throughout all the situations that you face in your entrepreneurship, in your family life, with your friends, you start to notice it in all the different places, but it takes time and practice to start noticing what comes up. So I think, uh, well, I know that we just as human organisms, one of the main primitive driving forces is to avoid pain. Almost anything, I think, would lead down to pain. You know, what is causing the pain? Like, what's deeper? Don't you have to go deeper than that? It seems like everything, Um, every personality test I've taken, all the, you know, all the work, like, you know, finding purpose and why and understanding values and all these different personality um, uh, tools, it kind of all goes to the same place again. Like, for me, it's kind of like it's that wounded little boy that, you know, wants acceptance Mm -hmm. and stuff, right? It all kind of goes back to one of those things, like way down in there and that that impacts so much, like just like a... I don't know, like a, like the center of the wagon wheel or, a, you know, a, a <laughs> firework explosion, you know, it's like in the center there, that explosion in the middle is that l- wounded little boy. And there's probably yeah. that, that person with everybody. So. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. And I think the subtle difference is then what did you do with that? Yeah. What did that wounded little boy make up a story about? And then that story became the framework through which you see the world. And that's the difference um, in understanding. So the fear of the seven is not just pain, but I don't want to be trapped in pain. Like this idea that I'm never going to get to be happy if I, if I experience pain, which is slightly different than somebody who is, what if I experience physical or emotional abandonment and I'm afraid of being left? Both of those are painful. 
But one of them is about being trapped and one of them is about being abandoned. And those are two different experiences. And so that at the core, you're right, here is this wounding. And then what did I make up a story about that? And then they're all the way around the Enneagram circle, all of those fears are the expression of what, what story did I make up? How did I begin to see the world in a very specific way because of that motivation? So, of course, the basic human longings are safety, belonging, and connection. And if those are at risk, then we all get a little wiggy and something happens and those are our triggers. But understanding why that's your trigger is the deeper work of the Enneagram. So it's that's what I like to just say. It's a little bit different than I know I get my energy from being with people And some people get their energy from being alone. That's not about what I'm afraid of. That's about my my preference, my pattern. But why I do that is something different than just that I enjoy being with people. And that's the work of the Enneagram. So you can understand yourself better, but you don't necessarily have to change things, right? I mean, there may be be things that, uh, um, that you see that are Uh, to your benefit. I always love to describe it like glasses. So if I'm wearing colored glasses and I suddenly put on green glasses and you're wearing a white shirt and I'm like, Russ, your shirt's green. And you're like, my shirt is not green. My shirt is white. And I'm like, "Uh, no, it's green. And I'm not aware that I'm wearing green glasses. We are going to have a really challenging time communicating and working together. When I am aware that I'm wearing the green glasses, then I can say, oh, right, this is this is how I'm seeing it. I can get curious about what does Russ see? How do you see things differently? Here's how I see them. How can we work together to make a solution, to make something great? And if I'm wearing my green glasses, things that are green are kind of in my blind spot. They disappear a little bit, but things that are red show up deep and dark and stark against the green glasses. So the way I see the world has potential to have blind spots in it, but it also has some superpowers that I bring. And that inner world work of understanding that is how we move from doubting ourselves all the time of, oh, what if this is just me? Or why can't they see it this way? We start to say, oh, I trust this and this is who I am. And I can allow certain things to fall away and really work toward the strengths that I bring into a situation. I love that analogy. That is really perfect right there. That's great. It's easy to understand and it explains a lot, right? That's a good one. Suzanne Stabile is an Enneagram teacher and she always says that you can't change the way you see, but you can do something if you know that's how you see it. Yes. And, and that's the idea of the glasses and, and we can now, I can, I got some information. I I can do something about it. If I know that it's there, if it's hidden underneath a rug or behind a curtain, I don't know what's there and I, I can't address it. So that's why I love the glasses. Well, I'm so glad we have you on the podcast today. Self-awareness is so important. Well, I certainly would like to be more self-aware than I am. So I'm on a continual quest to learn and become better. And I think we've piqued people's interest in the Enneagram. And I'm sure that you have a tool or a resource for them to be able to uh, be able to do this and get some uh, self-awareness. Yeah. So, I mean, just if you're curious, I can quickly go through the nine different types. Please. So I, the types in the Enneagram are numbered from one to nine. And they sometimes have names, different people name them, but I like to stick with the numbers. 
And I always like to start with the eights. And so Enneagram eights, because they get a bad rap, I start with them. Um, so don't freak out if you're like, wait, why is she starting at one? But also because Enneagram eights are the most powerful on the Enneagram. They're the most intense numbers. Let me let me yeah. jump in and ask you a question. What what number is the person who is stressed out because mm-hmm. you didn't start at one? <laughs> Many people, oh. but particularly people who like um, are really tied to order. Which number? So there that? are several. Oh, oh there are, <laughs> there are <Okay>. several. <laughs> All right. All right. Sorry. Go ahead. Go but ahead. Also, I mean, even just a, no- a normal person, if you're listening, you'll be <laughs> questioning why didn't she start at one? Like that's just a a pretty typical question. Okay. Um, so I always like to explain that we start with the eights. There are deeper reasons inside the Enneagram that are kind of in the weeds for today, but starting with the eights is, is a, a pretty standard practice in Enneagram teaching. And again, they have this most amount of number or the most amount of intensity on the Enneagram. And they are these powerful protectors and they are always looking to protect themselves and other from betrayal and control. They don't want to be controlled. And Enneagram nines are these mediators when they are healthy and real peacemakers. And they are always looking to stay connected and avoid conflict at all costs. They don't want to lose connection with people. And they also want their own voice to be heard. And that's the tension for Enneagram nines. And then Enneagram ones are the people who are always trying to make things better. And they're always trying to make it better because they're deeply afraid of what if I'm bad? What if I'm wrong? And they have an internal critic that is stronger than any other number. We've all got an internal dialogue, but Enneagram ones have a very strong internal critic that's always telling them you did it wrong or you did it bad. So they're always trying to make things better because they're afraid that voice is right. And then Enneagram twos are these deep helpers that insert themselves and support other people and really guess other people's needs, but they do that in order to not be rejected. So if I help you, then you need me. And then I have identity and worth and you won't reject me because they're deeply afraid of rejection. And then Enneagram threes are kind of the walking motivational posters of the Enneagram. They're um, really independent, goal-oriented people who are achieving so much. And it's because they're afraid, what if I don't achieve my worth and identity are at stake? Their status is tied to their personal identity. And then Enneagram fours almost feel the opposite of threes in some ways because they are so deeply authentic to who they are. They sometimes reject convention and they're great at connecting people emotionally and creating space and art and beauty. And it's because they're afraid of being emotionally isolated or missing what they need to be authentic to themselves. So they're deeply afraid of not being unique or not being special. And then Enneagram fives are so fantastic at thought and strategy and research, and they bring us so much information and wisdom. And it's because they're deeply afraid of being incompetent, that their safety and security is tied into knowing and having knowledge. So being ignorant or incompetent is is their deepest fear. And then Enneagram sixes are always looking to provide context and 
prepare us for good and bad things that could happen. And they ask amazing questions, but it's because they are afraid of being blamed or what happens if I am physically or emotionally abandoned. And then I don't have safety because I wasn't prepared. And then Enneagram sevens are the group that is always going for what is happy, what is joyful, what's going to make me contented and satisfied. And it's because they're afraid they're going to be limited or trapped in pain. What if I'm stuck here in this place forever and I can't get to what makes me happy and safe and secure? And so that's just a little thumbnail of each of the types. And so as we were talking earlier, Russ is like, I mean, all of us kind of have some of those in us and we do, Yeah. but one of them is the one that kind of hurts the most and sticks out a little bit like, Ooh, I don't think I like that. And when you read deeper descriptions, you start to notice things that are like, Oh, wow. I, I didn't know people knew that about me. And you read other descriptions and you're like, that's not me. I don't think that way. That's not my process. And so the best way to start uncovering your own inner world is to start reading descriptions. So if you're curious about uncovering more, I have a free resource called Why Do I Keep Doing This? And it outlines all of the different motivations. I just gave you this quick little you know, snippet, little spark notes. This is a little bit more that helps you start to see what are the motivations? What is my personality strategy? What is my core fear, my core longing? And it describes that for each of the nine types. And it's smaller than a book (laughs) and shorter than a podcast. And it's something you can just use as a resource. So you can get that at jenwhitmer.com slash freebies. And then the next way to start digging in is to really listen to people being interviewed about their type, that they're discussing how they think. And there's all kinds of podcasts out there that do that. My favorite are The Enneagram Journey by Suzanne Stabile. There's Typology by Ian Morgan Cron and Enneagram Growth. They do panels where they just interview different types together. And you start to listen to people and you're like, oh my gosh, that's exactly how I think. And you other people are like, that is amazing. I never would have thought that. And that's a great way to start identifying your type. The work of the Enneagram is to start doing something with it. And that's where I really help people through coaching or ongoing conversations, things like that. And so it's a little bit of a process of figuring out your type, but then now what do I do with this information and learning your leadership style, learning your conflict resolution style, your relationship style, all of those things come out as you continue to eat what I call the wedding cake of the Enneagram because you can't have it all in one sitting. <laughs> That's pretty cool. And and I think that this discussion with you on this podcast is one of those little sparks that will get someone to stop and think. And at whatever level of self-awareness they're at, you don't know what you don't know, right? How do you know that you need to really have a better understanding of yourself? If you're, if you're oblivious, then you think you're fine and you're really not looking for any sort of personal development or or professional development or anything. So I think this will be a great spark. And actually you have me interested in it again, even though I do these things periodically, but I'm definitely going to get that free resource. So I think I have to find a more constructive way to deal with some of these stressors. And they're usually things where I feel totally, totally helpless and I can't I can't get away mm. from the stressor. Do you know what I mean? Like no matter what I try. Uh-huh. So yeah, just, you know, little things like that to make our life more joyful. And the thing that I love about the Enneagram is that it's not static. There's a concept within the Enneagram called levels of health. Yeah. And we move through these levels of health. And what you're describing is how do I be healthy in my number? How do I, have, how do I figure out how to deal with this stressor that is unique to me? 
and unique to my personality. And that's the work of the Enneagram. I love it. Yeah. JenWittmer.com forward slash freebies. And mm -hmm. that is where you can get your free resource. Why do I keep doing this? And listeners, you can get that and um, get a little bit more self-awareness, right? And take the next step just like to pause for a second and give a shout out to the guys over at Parlor City Furniture in the greater Binghamton, New York area. They ship furniture all over the world. These guys have come on board with Going Boldly, the podcast, is our very first sponsor. Their involvement is so appreciated. It's going to allow us to grow the podcast and bring even more exciting programs to you, the listener. If you're ready to update your home office or doing a new build out at your brick and mortar location, let these guys help you out. That's Parlor cityfurniture.com. So we'd like to learn about ourselves and our listeners like to learn about our guests. And that brings us to the questions, Jen. Okay. Are you, are you ready for the questions? I'm prepared. I'm gripping my chair. <laughs> All right. St <laughs> Stand by. It's time to answer the questions. I double dare you. All right. This is the part of the show where we get to know our guests a little bit better and uh, maybe a little bit more of their personality or sort of depends on which questions they get and uh, how honest they're going to be, how transparent. So, uh, Jen, here we go. It's question number one of the questions. Who do people tell you that you look like? Oh, goodness. <laughs> I have no idea. Um, I mean, I have some friends that I favor, like we look alike. So I have a friend that I went to college with. Her name is also Jennifer. And we would go together to give plasma in college. And they'd be like, are you two sisters? We're like, you're looking at our medical records. Our first names are Jennifer and we have different <laughs> birthdays that are four months apart. Sure. Yeah. We're totally sisters, That's but we funny. do look quite a bit alike. So. <laughs> I'm going to go with my friend Jen. That's pretty funny. They say spouses sometimes do that or, or, you know, if you're uh if you're, if you're looking for a mate, like you look, you're attracted to uh, people that look like you. <laughs> I don't know if it's true. But. Yes. All right. I don't know. All right, My so, husband and I have been married for almost 25 years. I don't think we look alike. <laughs> yeah. All right. So your friend, Jen. Uh, all yes. right. Question number two. If you could have a conversation with any famous person, dead or alive, who would it be? And what would you talk about? Mm. Oh my goodness. These are challenging. Okay. So these are the easy ones, Jen. Come on. <laughs> oh my gosh. I, I think I'd love to have a conversation with somebody like Susan B. Anthony, who was like, this situation is yes, how it's always been for women, but it's not okay. And how did you, how did you decide that it was worth the violence and the threats to your life to secure voting and um, rights for women in a free country such as the United States. Like, I think that would be fascinating because we have all kinds of issues. Like that's how it's always been, but it doesn't make it right. So how did you decide to go about making the wrong things right in, in your lifetime? I think that's what, that's my answer. That's a good one. <laughs> I like that. All right. Question number three, what is your favorite non-work related activity and what do you get out of it? Oh my goodness. I have so many favorites are really hard for me. Right. So, um, I love being outside laughing with my friends. I love reading. Um, so if I can 
like be talking about books outside with my friends, drinking either coffee or wine. That is like the best. Somebody's combining them all into one glorious thing. And I get out of that, that I love talking about ideas. Ideas are really important to me. And when people connect over ideas and our experiences, I just think it's magic. And I love being outside, experiencing creation and enjoying the world that is outside of the four walls. <laughs> and um, so if I can do that together, it fills me up in a way where I can be fully present almost in a way I can't be other places, like just fully present in that moment, enjoying it and being so happy and, and glad that I'm there. How do you deal with um, the conversations with people that deal with more superficial things? Um, I can do small talk. Um, I tend to start asking a deeper question. If they evade and it's not something they want to talk about, I just change the subject or tell a funny story. But I find that more often than not, when I ask genuinely the deeper follow-up question, people are taken off guard and they're like, oh my gosh, you actually care? You're not just interested in the small talk. Most people, I think, do small talk because that's what they think is expected and they're afraid of being vulnerable. So when I ask a question and create a space that is safe to really answer, I get real answers. So it happens where they don't. But I think most of the time they're like, oh, wow, you actually, you want the actual answer. And I'm like, I do, I do want the actual answer. I like that. Yeah. People want to be valued, right? And they want to feel they heard. They want to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, so I offer um, going boldly success coaching. Do you mind if I ask you a coaching question? Sure. So Coaches have to have coaches. Please. <laughs> what personality trait of yours is your greatest weakness? And then how does mm. that impact your life? And then, I'm, then we'll do a follow-up um, with which one is your greatest strength and, you know, okay. why and what benefits do you get? So we'll, we'll kind of like end on more of a, more of a positive, if, if you will, even though they're both positive, right? They're both. Yeah. Because know, if it, you can do something with it. Yeah, exactly. So what personality trait is my greatest weakness? Yeah. Because we certainly talked about a lot of different, different mm -hmm. types as, as revealed through the Enneagram and other tools. Yeah. And so we have the information and it's good to good to know ourselves as you explained. Yeah, I think because I lead with Enneagram 7 and I notice and the thing that I'm working on what I feel like always is that you know why do I keep doing this is the distractibility I get when things get a little bit uncomfortable. I've learned how to sit in uncomfortable conversations as a coach and when I was a faculty leader, but I even notice in my own mind that I might need to sit here a little bit longer. I might need to work it out, the puzzle of it. And if I don't notice that, oh, you're escaping because this is a little bit challenging, I can get super distracted and I don't get as many things done. Not that my productivity is my is the point of my worth, but I do notice that my effectiveness really wanes and I'm, oh, I've just spent 20 minutes thinking about how I can create a new website when really what I needed to do was send that invoice. And <laughs> because, you know, it's those types of things that I get because I don't love doing that part. Yeah. Some people love sending invoices. They're like, send me the money. <laughs> well, I was going to say, <laughs> I was going to say, that's the easy part for me is like the, the one activity that uh, dominates every other is if there's <laughs> money coming in as a result of it, uh, that goes to the top of the list. 
I know I've trained mice to do it, but it's not my favorite thing. In fact, I'm currently working right now in creating automation, so I don't avoid it nearly as much as I do. So it's just automated. All right. So what's your greatest strength and and how does that benefit you? I think as with most things in our life, our greatest weakness and strength are usually two sides of the same coin. So when it is in a good space, I call it my starburst mind, and I can come up with so many ideas. And I am not somebody who is super constrained by the box. I, um, well, this is how, you know, it has to fit inside this box. I'm like, let's talk about all the other things besides what we know could happen inside the box. And I mean, you give me a marker and a whiteboard and I am there for ideas and brainstorming and piggybacking and iterations and the creative, the creativity that comes from what if we that sentence. And so I love that. And that's allowed me to, well, first of all, just shift when we were talking earlier about firing yourself, I was going to be in education my whole life. That was my job. I was going to retire as an educator and being able to brainstorm new things. Like, well, what if I, what if I started coaching other people on the thing I was teaching on how to do? What if I started speaking as a profession rather than just doing trainings inside the school. What if I, you know, like, Oh, I could, I could do that. I could do that. And, and so that strength has impacted so much, but it gives me creativity in my parenting and my relationships. It brings me so much joy Come back to the <laughs> beginning of joy bringer. Yeah. Just like how many ideas can we get? Even if we don't do all of them or any of them, we're going to come up with something good if we, if we brainstorm different ideas. And so my starburst mind when it's trained and in the right place and not avoiding invoices um, is really a great, a great asset. Well, thanks. Yeah, you've been a great value to our listeners today. I just wanted to invite them all again to go to jenwitmer.com forward slash freebies. And you're also on LinkedIn as Jen Whitmer. Yep. Yeah. Is, are there any other social media platforms that you frequent? Yeah. So if you download that, I would love for you to come tell me like what you think of it. So please DM me. I would love to hear and share it. Tag me. So I play the most on LinkedIn and Instagram. I have a private Facebook group if you're interested as well. And you can connect with me. All those places you can find at jenwitmer.com slash freebies. My socials at the bottom of the page. But LinkedIn and Instagram are where you'll see the most from me. All right, listeners. Jen Whitmer. And she is the joy bringer. (laughs) That concludes another episode of Going Boldly. I hope you were entertained and you discovered at least one nugget of wisdom or advice that you can put into action immediately. Or maybe you received some inspiration from today's episode. And I'm certain you know at least one person who needs this podcast. Please share it with them. You might be the important link that will change their life for the better. Subscribing means you will not miss an episode and it will make it easier for me to schedule guests because I can show them that the audience is growing. So please subscribe. It will benefit us all. Let me know how I can make this show even better. Leave a comment and send me a DM. I read everyone personally and I do my best to respond to each and every one. As a thank you, I'll be awarding prizes. And to keep you on your toes, the winners will be randomly selected from names I find in the comments, shares, DMs, and from the list of subscribers. Prizes might be Going Boldly merch or products supplied by my guests, or just something random and fun. But you have to comment, share, DM, or subscribe to be eligible to win. A special thanks to Brenna Swanger at Waverly Manor Studios for our great theme music. 
And finally, thanks for listening. Go boldly, keep at it, and wash your hands.